different piece of scripture. Last week was Hebrews 11. It's the foundation scripture for this. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. That's kind of the, that's the, the central idea that we're working off of in this series. But today I want to take you to a lengthy piece of scripture. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Um, is where we're going to go today. This is Paul the Apostle writing. If you're maybe new to your Bible, uh, one, fantastic. Uh, but secondly, sometimes we can get into this and we have no idea, like, who is this person? What's going on? What's happening? Uh, we call that context, understanding the background, what's, what's going on. So there's this dude, his name's Paul. Uh, he used to be named Saul, but then Jesus got a hold of his life and everything changed. Come on. And uh, maybe you've been through that before. But here's Paul, and he's writing this letter to these people named the Philippians. It's this area where he has a church, the church at Philippi. And uh, he's specifically writing this letter to them from a different location called prison. And uh, not the best of places to be in, not where you necessarily want to be uh, you know, writing a letter from, but this is where Paul's at. And uh, a lot of commentators would call this letter the, one of the most joy-filled letters in the New Testament. And it's interesting that it would be one of the most joy-filled letters in the New Testament because the dude's writing from prison. There's not much joy there. So Paul writes this letter, and in Philippians chapter 1, 12 through 26, it captures something, at least for me, that I've noticed that I think plays into every single one of our lives. So we're going to read it, and then we're going to dig into this, this idea today. It says this. This is Paul writing. It says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained, listen to the language, have gained confidence in the Lord for my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach out of envy and rivalry. Now I want you to hear where Paul goes with this, right? So all of a sudden he talks about this big picture like, hey, listen, my situation has actually caused an advancement in the gospel and, 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 and people are actually living more fearlessly. But then he says this, most, um, to be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. Do you hear Paul's frustration? What does it matter? It's the question he asks. Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. Come on, somebody. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know this will end, this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Verse 20. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything. But that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by Death, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. That's an interesting perspective Paul would have. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake, since I'm persuaded of this. Now I want you to, I want you to hear this. Many times when someone's persuaded by something, it means that they have a staunch connection to a different thought process. So Paul's being persuaded by his situation. Paul's being persuaded by this idea. He says, persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that, because of my coming to you again, you're boasting in Christ 
Jesus may abound. Today, as we continue on in this collection of talks called Sight Unseen, I want to speak to you from the subject frustrated faith. Frustrated faith. As we look at how we live lives of faith in the midst of frustration. We pray with me just one more time today. Jesus, we love you. We honor you. We ask you to speak to us right now. We ask you to speak loudly. We ask you to affirm our hearts, strengthen our spirit, steal our souls today, God. And I ask right now that as we read your word, as we study from your word, that it would grow us, that it would stretch us, that it would make us new, that it would define who we are. Speak to us now. We are listening in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and everybody shout it online and in the house this morning. Come on, everybody shout amen, amen, and amen. My wife bought chickens. I'm going to say that one more time. She's watching right now. My wife bought chickens, and I hate chickens. <laughs> I just got to be real with you right now that I hate these little poopy things that are in my backyard, mind you, in a coop. And uh, since she's been gone, I've been tasked with uh, taking care of a puppy, which I bought the puppy for my children. So I, I, I assume responsibility for the puppy. The chickens, on the other hand, were not a part of the deal. And I told my wife, I said, I, I, have, no, I, ha, I have nothing to do with these chickens. They are not a part of my life. I will surely reap the benefits of the eggs later on but I will have nothing to do with these chickens right now. They're gross, they're nasty, they freak me out when I have to stick my hand into the coop because here's the thing at the end of the day, like this is a small coop and, and I have to reach in there to grab their food and it's like uh, uh, in there and there's, there's, it stinks and they peck at your hands. Do not like these chickens. So the other day, Erica texted me, she's like, reminding me, can you please feed the chickens? And I was like, fine, whatever. So I went out to feed the chickens. And how many of you know at the, at, at the, at the, at the start of something, when you are frustrated, it makes the journey of that thing a whole lot more difficult? How many of you know what I'm talking about? So now I'm frustrated because my wife is, is asking me to take care of these chickens while she's gone. And so I go out there. And I reach in there, and, and I'm gonna just kind of give you the whole storyline so that you really understand what was happening in this moment. So I reach in there, my dog's out with me, he's getting caught up in my hands, or in my feet, my hands are here, my feet are down here. Okay, so he's getting caught up in my feet, and so I had opened one of the doors. This is gonna be disclosure, baby, just so you know when you come back, things have changed on the chicken coop. Oh, so, so I had the door open, he's caught up in my feet, and he trips me, I had my hand on the door, all my weight went on the door, and I snapped the door off of the chicken coop. So you know. So now I'm inside looking for duct tape because I was running late to get here for a meeting, and so I'm duct taping this door to the front of the chicken coop. The chickens are trying to get out. The dog's eating my feet still and other things. He's caught up, he's in me, so I spill their water in the chicken coop which is nasty at best because there's stuff in the chicken coop. If you add water to chicken goo, it gets gross. 
So now I have to reach in there and I have to grab the water thing, fill the water thing, I've gotta get their food, to which in grabbing their food, I'm frustrated now, I dump their food out all over the lawn, now my dog is eating chicken food, I'm tripped up, doors got duct taped, there's goo everywhere, I'm running late, and I'm looking good in my clothes, and I start to get stuff on my clothes, to which now I'm losing my mind. In the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, frustration is defined like this. The feeling of being upset or annoyed, especially because of inability to change or achieve something. A deep chronic sense or state of insecurity and dissatisfaction arising from unresolved problems and unfulfilled needs. How many of you know those chickens frustrated me that day? And how many of you know, it wasn't even the chickens at first swing, it was the ask to go take care of the chickens. I didn't wanna do something that I was being asked to do. And so I started off frustrated, I engaged frustrated, I then worked to get things done frustrated, and then because of how it all fell apart on me, my frustration rose, and it caused me to become something, and it caused me to experience something that I didn't wanna be, and I didn't want an experience of frustration. I was frustrated. Come on, anybody been frustrated before? Anybody frustrated right now, right? Here's the truth, frustration's a part of life. We've all been there or we are currently there now. And the problem that we face, especially for Christ followers, is that we somehow think and believe that frustration is not allowed in our lives. That somehow, if we have our stuff together, if we have enough faith, we will actually never be frustrated. And even greater an issue is the shame and the guilt that we feel when we're not just frustrated, but our faith is frustrated. See, I'm not just talking about frustrated moments in life today, I'm talking about frustrated faith today. See, it's one thing to be frustrated at chickens, it's another thing to be frustrated at God. It's another thing to be frustrated in the journey, it's another thing to be frustrated in my faith. And here's the truth that we need to reconcile today in our lives, is that many of us are living right now in this moment with frustrated faith. Our faith has been tempered with. Our faith has been messed with. Situations and circumstances have done some things to our faith that's called frustrated faith. And that's why I want to deal with this issue today because for many of us, we're not just frustrated with life, we're frustrated in faith. So I want to look at where our our frustration, I've got, um, I think it's like eight points today we're going to try to work through. Praise the Lord. Um, I I want to look at first what frustrates our faith like the impetus of frustration in our faith, and then I wanna look at some decisions. We're gonna go back to the scripture that we read, and we're gonna look at decisions Paul made in order to overcome his frustrated faith. Come on, somebody. So here's the first thing. Here's the first thing that causes or produces frustrated faith. The first one is this, unmet expectations. We all have them. Those things that are inside of us that that, that rarely ever get spoken about. Yet we negotiate life through them. We negotiate situations through them. We enter into relationships with them. We enter into jobs with them. We enter into new seasons with them. We enter into churches with them. We enter into faith with them. We enter into new seasons with them. And I have found that we are constantly let down by them. Expectations. 
Come on, how many of us have had them? How many of us have them right? Now, expectations. And I've found that one of the first things that frustrates our faith is unmet expectations. I've found that many times it's not the situation that I'm disappointed in, it's the unmet expectations I had concerning the situation, and therefore my faith is then frustrated, especially where I'm believing God for something. Are you, are you hearing me today? The truth is, is that too often we define faith, I want you to hear this, we define faith by God's activity when faith is better defined in our obedience. See, we have certain expectations about God's activity. Our faith should not be based on what we want to receive. Our faith should be based on where we are asked to go. And for a lot of us, our faith is the sum product of believing God for something we will receive rather than our faith being a pursuit of where God has asked us to go. He never said, I'm gonna give you everything that you want. He just simply said, follow me. And our faith needs to shift from what I want to where I should go. Regardless of the situation. Hebrews chapter 13, or excuse me, Hebrews eleven thirteen. To 14, listen to what it says, Hebrews 11, 13 to 14. This will mess with your head, mess with mine every time I read it. So we get to the beginning of Hebrews 11, and the writer of Hebrews is gonna line out a bunch of people who pursued God in faith. Watch what it says in verse 13. It says, these all died in faith. What? Although they had not received the things that were promised. I want you to see this. They died in faith having never received what they were promised, but they saw from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on earth. Now, those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. What I need us to hear today is that one of the first things that will wreck our faith, that will frustrate our faith is unmet expectations because our expectations nine out of 10 times are attached to what we wanna receive rather than where he's asking us to go. The second, second thing that frustrates our faith is this, unrealistic, unrealistic details. <laughs> unrealistic deal. This is when we have a way in which things should go. Come on, somebody. How many of you know what I'm talking about? In other words, the details are what we are more concerned about and those details tend to be unrealistic. Unrealistic details are the details that we project into every situation and circumstance that we find ourselves in, mainly to bring a level of control to everything that we find ourselves in. So our faith is frustrated because the details do not match our design. Come on, you've been there before? Come on, how many of you have been in this situation before where maybe you engage in a relationship? Guys, come on, single guys, single girls. You engage in a relationship and you have in your mind the details of how this thing is gonna go. I'm gonna show up to the restaurant and he's gonna walk in and he's gonna be chiseled. Right? With like the face of a Greek god. Right? And the biceps, Jason. And so, just, just playing. Just, just joking. Right? And I'm gonna walk in there, I'm gonna sit down at the table with him and, and, and he's gonna pull out the chair for me and, and as I sit down, my hair is gonna blow in the wind. And he'll take his seat as the prince that he is and as he sits down and opens his mouth, it's gonna be articulate as if he has a PhD in everything. 
and we're going to talk and we're going to laugh <laughs> throughout the evening. And the food's going to be spectacular and the conversation is going to be deep and emotional and engaging. How many of you know that's not how it happens? He shows up late. His face is a little off. We question the showering. He skips the seat and he asks me to pay. <laughs> Come on, somebody. The details didn't match the design and so I'm frustrated. And while we can make, we can make jest at that reality, that's how we walk to the table with Jesus. That's how we show up to the relationship of Jesus. I want you to come into the room and I want everything to, to go away and I just wanna bask in your presence and I wanna have all of my woes and all of my fears and all of my stuff taken away and I need you to do everything for me and I need everything to work out the way that I want it to and so when we first receive the answer no, I'm jumping ship. It's unrealistic details. Here's what I need us to know today. God can take us to our destination even if the details don't look the way that we want them to. See, remember, Moses faced a desert, David faced a giant, Jesus had a cross, and Paul arrived to his mission on broken pieces of a shipwreck. The details may not, want, may not be what you want them to be, but we're looking in faith towards the destination. And I think too many times we judge the journey of faith through unrealistic details. Maybe you've heard this before, that the devil is in the details. I've found that many times he actually is. <laughs> because he uses the details of life to disrupt and frustrate my faith. And I've literally watched people's lives fall apart because the details did not match their preferred design. And so at some point we have to redesign, like we have to resign to the fact that just because the details are not what we want them to be, God can still get us to the same destination. Come on somebody. Here's the third thing. The third thing that frustrates our faith is unrestrained emotions. How many times have we allowed our emotions, our very own emotions, to cause a frustration of our faith? And I gotta tell you, like at that chicken coop, there were a lot of emotions. <laughs> right? Unrestrained emotions are some of the best at un, uh, undermining and frustrating our faith. Anger, sadness, desire, fear, ambivalence, doubt, just a few of the emotions that come up into our life. And if they are unchecked and undealt with, they will frustrate our Faith. Come on, how many of you would admit right now online, just throw a hand up online, give me an amen online, where you have allowed your emotions to get the better of you? Where all of a sudden everything tail spun because you engaged in the emotion rather than staying with the faith. Because your faith was frustrated. Because something was frustrated. I allowed the anger to come out and override the faith aspect of who I'm supposed to be. And listen, frustrated faith is going to happen. We just need to know that unrestrained emotions is going to help cause that. So I've got to learn how to put my emotions back into check and realize that I'm not the sum total of my emotions. I'm the sum total of my faith. I'm the sum total of what God says that I am. And so I can still engage even when my faith is frustrated. Here's the fourth one, unrestricted actions. These are the things that we do and the behaviors that we engage in to try to get what we want, how we want it, when we want it, and it ends up frustrating our faith. You see, it's when we take matters into our own hands, that's the beginning of our faith 
being frustrated and our life about to get crazy. Think about that term, matters into my own hands. Come on, you're with me online today. It's when I take things into my own hands and I'm deciding I'm going to do it my way. Thank you, God. But I got this. It's matters into my own hands. And all of a sudden, I start engaging in decisions and behaviors that start to wreck my world. See, matters into our own hands, it's not faith. Hands that have been opened to God is great faith. So our faith is frustrated when we find ourselves in these places. So then Paul lines out in Philippians 1, 12 through 26, the antidote, since we're in this COVID moment, the antidote to frustrated faith by lining out four decisions we must make as we live our lives out of faith. I hope this is helping somebody this morning. So here's the first Here's the first decision that we all have to make. If you're taking notes, write this down. You should see it in the comments and hopefully in a moment. Here's the first one is choose to see what is advancing rather than what is being lost. The antidote to frustrated faith is choosing to see what is advancing rather than what is being lost. Philippians 1, 12 through 13. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. See, this is a perspective at the end of the day, that we would do well to figure out. And I think this is why this season has been so hard for so many of us, because for a lot of people, the past 12 plus weeks has been a daily assessment of what we've lost, not what is potentially advancing. You turn on the news, you turn on Twitter, you open up Instagram, you hop on Facebook, every article, every comment, everything is about what we are losing. The economy is dropping, people are dropping, this is dropping, politics is dropping, all these things are dropping. When was the last time somebody posted about the gospel advancing? When was the last time we posted about my faith advancing? We've gotta choose to see things different. I have to choose to see what's advancing rather than what's being lost. Paul's in prison. And he says, listen, my situation sucks. But at least the gospel's advancing. <laughs> see, Paul chose to see things in a different light. Paul chose to see things by way of what was advancing rather than what was being lost. Or in his case, taking away his very freedom. Paul would use the word advanced here. The term advanced, pro, uh, it, it's prokopin was used in the Greek-speaking world to describe, listen, listen to what this word describes in the Greek, blazing a trail before an army. This is the perspective that Paul wanted the Philippians to have and us to have when it comes to our faith, that our faith has a perspective and that perspective should be focused on advancement. And here's the thing, when you blaze a trail, you will always get dirty, you will always get bloody, and you will always get cut up. It is part of blazing a trail. You have to go through things that no one else is willing to go through. Faith is not believing that you won't get cut up. Rather, faith is knowing that your obedience will be blessed. And so many of us are trying to exert faith on how it feels through the process instead of understanding. It doesn't matter. If you operate in faith, you're still going to get cut up. You're still going to get burnt. The stuff's going to happen. Can we be real? Why? Because I'm blazing a trail. You ever blazed a trail before? Probably not. <laughs> 
I'm going to go home in my backyard and blaze a trail <laughs> with a machete. We have to go through things in faith. Faith is not believing that things are going to feel good through blazing a trail. Faith is believing that the trail will lead us someplace. That my obedience will be blessed. Faith advances. Paul had an advancement perspective regardless of the situation. Regardless of how it was adding up. Number two, here's the second choice that he made. He chose to advocate for fearless faith rather than fearful retreat. Let's just say that one more time. He chose to advocate for fearless faith rather than fearful retreat. Watch what he says, Philippians 1.14. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment. I mean, think about that statement really quick. Paul's like, these guys, they're pumped that I'm in prison. They just got confident. Paul's in prison? Come on, somebody. Let's do this. Like all of a sudden they gained confidence and dare even more, listen to what he says, to speak the word fearlessly. See, many times, oh, hear this. I'm about to touch some buttons today. Many times we let our frustrated faith cause us to, to diminish others' fearless faith. Forgetting that our faith was once fearless. And the crazy thing is, is that we, try to t we tend to try and mask frustrated faith by calling it maturity. Come on, have you met that person before? They no longer have fearless faith, so they call it maturity. Oh, I'm just more mature in Christ. No, you're not, you're scared. The truth is that we've all been called to live with a measure of great faith, and that faith is to be fearless. And that does not mean that everything will work out the way that we want it to. It just means that when we are approaching our lives with faith, we care more about where God is taking us to and we do it in confidence. So even when our faith is frustrated, come on, we still have to advocate for others' fearless faith. Have you ever met the crusty Christian? <laughs> Hashtag crusty Christian. <laughs> that, should, that should be, we should start, hey, Andrew, Pastor Andrew, we need to start an Instagram hashtag called Krusty Christian. Like, there's preacher sneakers, there's salty memes, Krusty Christian. You heard it first. Hashtag copywritten. Okay, so, have you ever met the Krusty Christian that works ever so diligently at bringing down your faith? And nine out of ten times, the reason for this is because their faith has been so frustrated that they cannot stomach the idea that you and I may step out and see and experience something that they didn't. So here's the deal. I am so thankful that Paul could sit in prison and cheer others' fearless faith on instead of calling for them to retreat because his circumstance was different than theirs. Come on, somebody. Paul could have easily written, hey, guys, I'm in prison. These fools will lock you up if you're preaching Jesus. So stop. Be quiet. Hold back. Come on, somebody. That could have been the letter. 
That could have easily been a letter that any one of us would have written. It's like, guys, it's getting, it's getting crazy out there. They're locking people up. They're killing them. They're taking people out of their homes just because they're talking about Jesus. No, no, no. That's not what he said. He said, man, I am so glad to hear that you're going for it still, that you are fearless in your faith, that you're still proclaiming the gospel. I'm locked up and I'm having a party, so you keep going for it. You keep pushing forward. You keep advancing the gospel. You keep shouting it out. Here's the third thing that Paul chose to do as he's sitting in prison is he chose redemptive reasoning to work through his circumstance. He chose redemptive reasoning to work through his circumstance. How do I know that? Well, Philippians 1, 15 through 19. Watch this. It's a thought process. He's giving us his thought process. He says, to be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? There's There's this redemptive reasoning. Watch what he says. What does it matter? Someone's gotta get that banner over their life today. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true. He's like, I don't even care how it gets done at this point. Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. And yes, I will continue to rejoice because I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. See, too often we see things with a temporal mindset rather than adjusting our thinking to come in line with the overarching redemptive plan of Jesus in our lives and in our world. So many of us are focused here that we fail to see what's happening out here. Some of us are so focused on the micro that we fail to see the macro. So many of us are so focused on the tiny details that we don't see the bigger picture. And Paul uses redemptive reasoning to work through it all. Redemptive reasoning is learning to think through the details of life and faith. Check this out through the lens of eternity. And too often... We see things through ourself, through our motives, through our own bias due to brokenness and experience and doubt. I wonder if today some of us could grab a hold of the type of redemptive reasoning that encourages us to say this phrase right here, what does it matter? Who cares that it looks this way? I gotta be honest with you. I'm concerned for coming back into live services. Because before pre-COVID, we had opinions, we had preferences, we had ideas and thoughts about things. And I watched the church, not just the well, but the church globally in so many different moments misstep in so many different places because we were so concerned about the details of how things rolled out. Think about this. We get so caught up that there's lights on stage and the coffee's not the way that I want it to be. It's too loud, it's too soft, 
His pants are too tight, not loose enough. <laughs> Come on, details that don't matter. And see, the funny thing is, is for the past 12 or so weeks, no one's cared about the details. I have not received one email complaining that we're having church online right now. Why? Because right now, we're focused on the bigger picture. And here's the problem, is that comfort so many times allows us to see the small things rather than the bigger picture. Paul was in prison, he was no longer comfortable. And in his discomfort, he chose to see the bigger picture. He said, I don't really care how it's getting done right now. Whether they're doing, Jesus will deal with that, and Jesus will deal with that, and Jesus will deal with that. Here's my goal, and here's my aim, and here's my understanding, that at least the gospel is being proclaimed. At least the city is being changed. At least addictions are being broken. At least the homeless is being fed. At least houses are being built. At least things are advancing for the gospel. That's redemptive reasoning. What does it matter? Oh, I'm probably pushing some stuff on you today, and I'm probably messing with some of your thoughts, and I'm probably touching some areas that might cause some frustration, but I wanna encourage us. It's also in frustrated faith that we can reason through things, that we can see through things and go, what does it matter? At least Jesus is being glorified. So then Paul makes one more decision. Probably the most powerful decision that he can make. The fourth thing is this, is that we have to choose heavenly submission rather than earthly desire. Philippians 1, 20 through 26, Paul says, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything but that now as always with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And then he says this thing, this is probably one of my most favorite scriptures in the Bible, many of us have heard this before. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And see, many of us have seen that on a coffee mug in grandma's house failing to realize that Paul was making an assessment of life versus death. This was not a hallmark statement. This was the statement of one who was shackled in chains, who was sitting in the inner courts of a prison, one who did not know if he would live or he would die, but he could assess to himself today, I am choosing heavenly submission rather than earthly desire. So for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me and I don't know which I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ all the day to cross the finish line and hear well done, good and faithful servant all the day to know that I am surrounded by a cloud of witnesses all the day that my faith is seen in its totality, all the day of eternity, all that day. We long for the day. And I could see Paul sitting there longing for the day, but the truth
truth is in this moment, Paul would choose heavenly submission all the day, but I know that if I stay and I complete the work and I do what I'm supposed to and I keep on pressing, we're gonna reach people and lives are gonna change and cities are gonna change and a wild fire of faith is gonna start in our world and spread like crazy. since I'm persuaded of this I know that I'll remain and continue with all of you for your progress and for your joy in the faith so that because of my coming to you again you're boasting in Christ may abound one commentator put it like this Paul did not say in spite of these things, but rather through them. There's a note of sacrifice here. Paul's private concerns did not matter. The gospel did. My wife asked me to take care of the chickens. I hate those chickens. And I kid you not, in this moment of chicken mess, dogs, water buckets, and chicken feed. I thought to myself, for me to live is Christ <laughs> and to die is gain. But really what I was thinking was, hey, I want to honor what my wife has asked me to do, so I'm going to submit to the request. And my Spirit was frustrated. I was frustrated in that moment. But I pressed through. I kept on going. I did what I needed to do. And you know, the funny thing is, as I stepped back and I was able to look at the door with duct tape, it's out there right now. You can go look at it. And I was like, at least the door's up. At least the chickens are fed. My wife is going to be happy about this. I want to be able to honor her. And that's a microcosm of my relationship with God. And the details may not be the way that you want the details to be right now. The, ex the expectations may have been let down 23 weeks ago. But for me to live is Christ. And to die is the gain. And I'm torn between the two, but here's the truth. I'm gonna keep on going. I'm gonna keep on advancing. And my faith may be frustrated. But I serve a God who ministers to me in the midst of everything. And I may show up to the same place just on broken pieces in Jesus' name.